0: Introducing Floyd Rhodes to this church is like the bishop introducing the Pope. Uh, Floyd has been around. I think he built the place. He served on every committee, every board, and every other thing we could possibly have going on here. He's been on the staff. He and I used to share an office over here for a, a, a year, and it was a lot of fun. So, uh, but uh, our service is wonderful. It's been a little full this morning, so I'm going to ask Floyd. I'm giving Floyd permission to preach his sermon to us this morning and not worry about the time. Is that okay? All right. Thank you, I'm glad I have your permission. I was gonna do it anyway. (laughs) But for those of you who are watching your watch, just set it back about 20 minutes and you'll be fine. (laughs) Uh, Point of personal privilege, my wife and daughter are here today. um, And so if you haven't seen them for a while, we spend our summers in North Carolina now and we got stuck there for a year during COVID. So we haven't been around much. So it's really great to see your faces cause all I've seen for the past two and a half years is, are the back of your heads. So it's great to see you all and we are really thrilled to be here. And I'm still very active in the Presbytery of Southern California. I serve on the ministry partnership team and the joint commission on uh, justice and mercy and especially for pastors. So. Our lesson today is following what Sid has kind of preached on for the last couple of weeks, Ephesians 2 verses one through 10. So if you wanna follow along, um, please feel free to do so. And it's titled Made Alive in Christ. Let us hear the word of the Lord. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised up with Christ and seated at the right hand with him in the heavenly realms is Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance. This is the word of the Lord. And together we say, thanks be to God. This passage highlights the immeasurable nature of God's mercy and grace. By becoming alive in Christ, both our reality and our conduct is changed forever. Now, during these past two Sundays, Sid has provided excellent context for this passage in Ephesians. And today we're going to kind of build on that um, because chapter one just segues very nicely into chapter two. And it gives us chapter two gives us kind of a juxtaposition of what it means to have been dead in our sins and trespasses, and then to discover the joy of becoming alive in Christ. Here within this passage is a very focused, strong, concise statement. It's kind of a before and after that results from God's divine intervention. Remember, Paul is that man who had the Damascus Road experience. So he knows what he's talking about here. He lived it. He lived in sin and and trespasses before he became converted on the road to Damascus. So remember he wrote in first Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. (laughs) He made himself right there at the head of the pack of sinners. So God has and is and will forever be making us alive in Christ. His divine grace and mercy and peace have radically altered everything that we do about who we are, whose we are, about how we live, why we live, and even where we live, both spiritually and physically. I mean, we are here for a reason. It's just not happenstance that you are all here in this sanctuary today and all live here because God brings us together in that sort of way, whether we think that's the case or not. So in this particular writing and in Ephesians overall, Paul is a lot more poetic than he is in some of his other books. Uh, There's some discussion about whether Paul really did write this one or not because it was late uh, in his ministry. He was in prison, maybe somebody else wrote part of it, but it is a little bit different. It's got this real creative and poetic tone to it, but it's packed with clauses based upon clauses, heaped up on parenthetical phrases that are stacked up on top of one another. So in the original Greek, this is really cool. In the original Greek, the first seven verses were one sentence of 124 words. So fortunately, and, and it didn't appear until verse four that there was a noun and not till verse five and six till it was verbs. It was, was talking about all this other stuff till it got to the subject matter. But fortunately, we can break this down into four categories, I think. And I hope that will help you follow along as we delve into this a little deeper. Verse one, two, three is before we were made alive in Christ, we were dead and because of our sins and transgressions and uh, trespasses, I think is the word he uses. Then in verses four through seven, we hear that God indeed made Christ alive in our hearts. It's conversion from the old life to the new life in Christ. And then in verses eight and nine, we are told how the surpassing riches of God's grace was given to us in two ways. First of all, It is a pure gift. And secondly, and should go without saying, but it doesn't. If it's a pure gift, we didn't have to do anything to earn it. It was a gift. And, you know, sometimes we feel like if we get a gift, we got to give something back. But that's not what this is saying. Saying this is a gift of God, this mercy and grace and love. And so since and then in verse 10, Paul addresses the question. So where do we come in? If we don't have to do anything for this, then where do we come in? Now, if we're short on time, I could stop right there because that's the outline of the sermon. But unfortunately, I'm not going to. Okay? <laughs> or fortunately, depending on your point of view. How often have you heard somebody ask you, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Which do you want to hear first? When people that I work with ask me that question, my heart sinks. Uh, oh, no. So I always ask for the bad news first. And Paul is very obliging in that regard. He doesn't even ask the question. He just delves into the bad news. He says, we are the walking dead. Basically, it's what it's telling us here. Uh, We had been in the past tense, the walking dead. That's the bad news. But as for you, and here's what he said, which I already read, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, when you follow the ways of the world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So he's talking about there are still a lot of people in that category who are disobedient. And again, he's writing to Ephesus, new Christians, Gentiles for the most part, some Jews later on, he starts talking more generally about both. both. But his point is, you're living in a culture where there's a lot of sin and trespasses going on. And as new Christians, he was very concerned about people not getting you know, sucked back into that. I'd oftentimes say, and it's not very polite probably, but gravity sucks. <laughs> it, it brings you back constantly. You've got to be fighting gravity like that. So he's making the big point here that we once craved the flesh and the things of the world. And now we because of that, we were deserving of wrath. Uh, But later, he talks about the the evil one and kind of hedges it here a little bit and talks about bondage to malicious and malignant powers in verses two and three. Uh, And they are all part of this world. And then later in Ephesians, he labels those evil powers the devil. He actually mentions the devil twice in chapter 4, verse 37, and chapter 6, verse 11. And the flesh depicts the human condition that is, I love this, that is kind of turned in on itself, that one's passions and cravings and mindsets are in total disobedience to God. If you're always focused on yourself, how can you be obedient to God? You can't do both things at the same time. So then he emphasizes, while that is what was happening in your former existence as Christians, you are no longer to live that way because you are alive in Christ. That's where your life is. It's not made up of what you do. So here's where it gets really exciting. He comes with this good news. Verse four begins, but God. Now I listened online to a bunch of sermons on this passage because you can do that now. Four out of the five I listened to were titled, but God. But that's not really the point. It's a transitional phrase, and and God did it. But the thing that he did is what we should be focused on, that he made us alive in Christ. But he said, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. In other words, God acted out of the wealth and love and compassion and grace that he had in order to do this. Now, you know, it struck me, it would be interesting to be seeing on the conversation of creation between God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, and what they're saying about, okay, what are we gonna do with these people? (laughs) Adam and Eve did their dastardly deed, so now what happens next? And I think the important thing for us to realize is that what they talked about is not how lovable we we are or are not, but how incredible lovingly God is. It's not whether we're lovable or not, because you know what the answer to that is ultimately, but whether is God loving us, how he shows his love for us. In other words, again, God's love is unconditional and it's no merit of our own. Now, two Sundays ago, Sandy and I were in Baltimore visiting my older daughter and her two children. And my grandson, who is a pretty bright kid and graduated from Cornell in astrophysics and now he's working as a CFO for a distillery, go figure. Um, (laughs) But that's what happens today with these folks. Um, anyway, he, he was, he's in an MBA program online at the University of North Carolina. And so he was bemoaning the fact that they don't have an ABC grading system. Their grading system is pass, fail, or incomplete. And he likes A's. He loves A's. He always got A's. And now he doesn't get A's anymore. He gets pass. <laughs> And I think a lot of people are like that. A lot of Christians are like that. We want to God, we want God to give us an A. And we try every way we can to see that he gives us an A. But I got a flash for you. He's not going to give you an A. (laughs) He may not even give you a B or a C. It depends on where you are, but it doesn't matter. Now, that's a flash. It doesn't matter because it's through nothing that we do that we receive grace, that we are made alive in Christ. So God made us alive in Christ, raised us with Christ, and set us in heavenly places where Christ now rules over all the powers and dominions. That is from chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, which you covered already. And he did not say that we earned it, But it's because of his incredible love for us. And the ultimate thing is that Jesus, by his life, death, and resurrection, made us alive in him. There's a great hymn. I was really hoping we were going to sing it today, but we're not. It's called In Christ Alone. Now, it was written in 2002, so some of you may consider it contemporary. (laughs) That just drives me crazy when we label Um, hymns and how theologically beneficial they are based upon when they were written but anyway in Christ alone some of you probably know it because I know we've sung it here in the past but I want to read you the first verse in Christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone the solid ground firm through the fiercest drought or storm what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when strivings cease, my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand. And it goes on. And when you get home, go on YouTube and listen to it. If you don't know it, it's great. This being made alive in Christ is an active process while we were saved once and for all, that's, that's good theology, that salvation is and will always be in the life of devoted followers of Christ. It's a walk. Many of you remember that hymn that says, I walk today where Jesus walked and felt his presence there. Well, that's it. That's what it's talking about. Something important to note here, in Greek, there are three verbs, Uh, One means made alive, one means raised, and the other one means seated. And they all have the prefix with. God did this for he had previously done, what he had previously done for Christ. So we are made alive with Christ, we are raised with Christ, and we are seated with Christ. And that's the best part. We're recipients, benefactors, of this divine, divinely created solidarity that we have between Christ and ourselves as Christians. But we didn't have anything to do with it. But then we read in verses seven and eight. Okay, we're down to the third point. Read in verses seven to eight. In order that the coming ages he might show the incredible riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. Now that, to me, that phrase is really poetic. In order that, okay, this is what happened. You were made alive, alive in Christ. Why? In order that, you will have these powerful emotional words, incomparable, riches, grace, kindness, and gift. One thing I found really interesting in reading some commentaries of this passage is that one commentator uh, uses a phrase that talked about this phrase, you have been saved by grace, is what he considered a passive, perfect, paraphrastic participle. I got up early this morning and sat outside while it was still cool and practiced that for a half an hour. <laughs> I want to get it right, it's like a tongue twister. Passive, perfect, paraphrastic, participle. And the point is, not that it's in the past, but that we were passive, we have a passive voice in what happened, and that we are totally passive when it comes to being saved. But it also emphasizes the duration of that salvation. It's accomplished in the past, but remains our reality in the future. So it's the ongoing demonstration of the immeasurable riches of Christ in our lives. And this all reinforces the enormity of God's mercy and grace and the kindness, which has led us to live in an altered state from the way we used to live before. And and then he says, reminds them again, but you're you're not like these other people who are still non-Christians. They continue to sin, and amaratia, which is the Greek word for sin. I know Sid Luz a lot of Greek words, so i want to get one in too. Um, but it means miss the mark. A, you've got a target out there and you miss the mark. That's amaratia, that's sin. Trespasses are falling off the edge of the road. You're going in the wrong direction. You're going where you're not supposed to go, doing what you're not supposed to do, and being where you're not supposed to be. Do not trespass, we see those signs. Well, that's what, you know, trespasses are. Going where you're not supposed to go. Being who you're not supposed to be. Because Christ, God created you to be you. And sometimes we are not who he called us to be. So in all of this, it reminded me of that well-known passage from Isaiah 5, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways, says the Lord, as high as the heavens are above the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, it strikes me that that's good Old Testament theology, but because we have been made, made alive in Christ, we now live in the heavenly realm. So maybe we're not that far away from God, that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts and our thoughts. Well, we know they are, but we have access to those through Christ. So while it's solid Old Testament theology this message of in kind of changes the paradigm, if you will, and gives us a new outlook on things, because we now live in God's neighborhood. Think about that. We live in God's neighborhood, and in fellowship and communion with one another, people here that we've come to know because we all live in God's neighborhood. Now, most of you probably remember Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, Fred Rogers, great Presbyterian pastor from Pittsburgh. Um, I got to meet him a couple of times. Great guy, and he is what. And what you saw is what you got from him. He was very humble, and his whole ministry was to create a sensitivity and humility in teaching children how that the kind of neighbor they should be, what kind of neighbor they should be, and the kind of neighborhood that they should live in. And remember the words? I was going to sing them for you, but Rebecca said I should not. (laughs) (laughs) But I might anyway. This is hard just to read these words. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood. One word, beauty wood. Much better than Hollywood. Beauty would. A neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in the neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> Won't you please, won't you please, please, won't you be my neighbor? As Christians, we need to ask ourselves that every day and ask other people, will you be my neighbor? Because we live in God's neighborhood. And for us to live in that kind of neighborhood, it's not going to happen because of something that we do or something we believe we have to accomplish. It's not going to happen and Denise said it in her prayer. It's not going to happen by law, by government. It's not going to happen by state laws, city ordinances, HOA covenants. <laughs> or, you know, even, it's even not going to happen because of church polity and bylaws. What? Is that heresy or what? Don't tell anybody in ECO I said that. Um, So as we read this passage, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Now, he goes on through the remainder of this book, giving instructions, which initially sounded kind of counterintuitive to me. I read on in chapters four and five, and he's instructions for Christian living kind of thing. But the difference is that, We are God's handiwork, and the good works that we are asked to do do not lead to salvation. They are a result of our salvation. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. We are saved through grace. And then Paul says in verse 10, the last section, you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Or a more vernacular translation of that uh, that I found from N.T. Wright, who's that great British theologian, uh, who was the dean of uh, uh, whatever, a bishop of Durham, not Durham, North Carolina, Durham, England. Um, and now he lecture, he's lecturing around the world, and you can see him on YouTube. He's one of my favorites these days. Anyway, he was talking about that, and his, his translation is, We are what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Sounds kind of Calvinistic to me, you know? Uh, But God prepared us to be who he called us to be. So that's where we come in. That's the last question, where do we come in? That's where we come in. Phil Maddox, M-A-D-D-U-X, that name ought to ring a bell with some of you because he is the ceo of mms minister aviation mms aviation which this congregation has supported for a very long time and in his monthly newsletter this month he wrote a compelling line that i, I thought fit right in here remember he's a pilot he pilots pilots need to know not only where they're going but how to check out their equipment file their flight plan keep track of the weather and adjust all kinds of situations. I had a good friend who was a pilot and he said, flying an airplane is 99% pure boredom and 1% absolute panic. (laughs) (laughs) And and I think that's probably true. But here's what Phil Maddox wrote. Some of you met him, he's been here in the past. I, I hope you remember him. He said, as believers in Christ, we know with absolute certainty our condition, position, and course. Our condition is redeemed. Our certainty, our position is in Christ, and our course is toward heaven. Isn't that great? From a pilot? Awesome. So I think that's a good way to look at it. As believers in Christ, we know with absolute certainty that our condition, position, and course are gonna be in Christ. And that Christ is fulfilling God's will in our lives if we do what he tells us to do. So, God wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to be experimental. He wants us to be innovative. He wants us to be flourishing. Eco tells us that all the time. Created in Christ for good works as a way of life. And so, Again, N.T. Wright said, he had some phrase about that. He said, you know, and you know how Brits talk. You may well feel, that that wasn't pejorative, I'm sorry. (laughs) You may well feel that good works is a bit of ho-hum, a bit of, oh dear, here we go again. We've got to behave ourselves and all that sort of thing. You know, very English, you know. But he notes that the word in Greek for what he has made us, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it, What he has made us actually means we are God's poem. We are God's artwork. We are God's creation. God has given each of you many, many gifts. And the good works that we are to do are not simply referring to moral behavior. We think that's, you know, if we just act right and be right and don't sin, we don't do anything wrong, that, 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 that's taken care of. That's not what he's talking about. He wants us to be his poem, his artwork, both in the church and in the world. So artists, musicians, the musicians are all over here. It's great. Artists, musicians, poets, dancers, this is your chance. And you are all artists, musicians, poets, and dancers. It reminded me, it, it was just, you know, God works in mysterious ways when, when you're preparing a sermon, right, Sid? It's, it's amazing. Uh, I was just, I, I was done with the sermon three weeks ago because I've been working on it for a long time. And so, ooh, okay. Um, but I ran across a video that was filmed in Miller Hall several years ago and there was a talent show. Some of you may remember we had a talent show and it was a happy, happy event. And the last act in the talent show was a septet or whatever it was. It was Doug Gerard playing the saxophone, Den Denning on the piano. Uh, we had a great ja- uh, bass guitar player whose name I can't remember. Sandy Rhodes was on the trumpet and David Lugwood was on the trampoline. Tam, 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 whatever that thing is. He wasn't on the trampoline. <laughs> Tambourine. Well, at least I had your attention. Okay, so the song that they sang, ad nauseum, was It's a Wonderful World. Uh, because we sang so many verses of that because each of the performers, had to have their own solo incorporated in that performance. And then at the end, everybody who was in attendance sang along and the camera panned the whole crowd and everybody was happy and jolly. It was great to watch that. And I thought, that's what being in God's neighborhood is about. We gotta get there. We gotta get back there. It was great and it was fun. And being a Christian should be fun. It shouldn't be, oh, you know, we gotta be holy, all that stuff, God forgive me if I laugh inappropriately. So Jesus didn't say, I have a generic plan for you and you're all to follow it. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whenever we discover that we are gifted in particular ways and share those gifts for the glory of God, rather than for our own glory, that requires humility. We're not doing it to show off. We're doing it to praise God and thank him for all that he has done for us in our lives. Worship, for example, is not a performance by people on the stage. This is not a stage. Worship is not a performance. It is a celebration by all of God's people a celebration of being a new creation because we are alive in Christ. So don't be afraid. If you get asked, this is the classic question. We need people in the choir. Oh, I can't sing. (laughs) You can sing. I heard you sing this morning. Or ask somebody, would you be willing to serve on the stewardship or evangelism committee? Those are the two biggies. Stewardship, oh no, no, I'm not gifted that way. We have a lot of talent in here, a lot of spiritual gifts, and many of you have many gifts. And because we are alive in Christ, we shouldn't be afraid about stepping up and saying, yeah, I can do that with God's help and a little help from my friends. So don't be afraid, God is calling you to be who you uniquely are with all of your spiritual gifts. And Sid mentioned them last week, that Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then Paul lists other ones later on in the book of Ephesians. You have been made alive in Christ. You are created in him to bring into this world that which only you can bring. And the proof of our faith is being of, of being alive in Christ is only evident in the degree to which we do good works, in the degree to which we do things that show others that we are alive in Christ. And may it be so in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit.